reading my Bible, as I trust we all were, on the first uh, day of the year, according to the plan that I've laid out for myself to read, and was brought in part to Joshua 1 on Monday, and reminded of the exhortation given to the two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Read there in Joshua 1, verses 14 and following, Ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord have given your brethren rest, as he hath given you. They also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession, and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side Jordan toward the sun rising. I was struck. I sometimes maybe you... You either miss things when you read or you'd see them afresh in a new way and just thought about the language there that once they were to go and help the rest of the tribes take possession of the land given to them that then they could return to the land of their possession and enjoy it and enjoy it I thought about that now when I read that particular text what's interesting is that the the Hebrew underlining or undergirding rather the word enjoy is really just to possess so that they would uh, return to the land of their possession and possess it but the translators have used the word enjoy but it got me thinking it got me thinking about the whole idea of enjoying the things that God gives and looking at passages where that is expressed And so we have it here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, in the charge that is given to those of material means. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And I was thinking then about this whole idea of God giving us things to enjoy. And while it may not be, uh, I'm not sure if it's, the most precise way of translating uh, that passage in Joshua 1. At the same time, it gives the same sense of it. that They're taking something that God has gifted to them. They're taking possession of the land that God had promised to them as tribes and that there was a certain obvious joy that would come with that blessing. And God does give. He gives things. And when He gives them, He gives them for us to enjoy. Now, thinking at the head of this year, as we come to seek the Lord, I just thought this is, this is a good thought, just to consider what God has given, what God uh, will continue to give to us that we may enjoy it aright. And in the context of this passage of 1 Timothy 6, there's much instruction because when we have given things, we have responsibility and you have that laid out very clearly here that if you are blessed with Uh, abundance, you have more than what you directly need, then there's a way to utilize that, that you do good, verse 18, rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate the ideas, giving where there is need, laying up and store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Good exhortation there and warnings concerning those who thought that gain is godliness uh, previously in the chapter as well. But I just thought this idea, Because sometimes we can get to a place where you you have to ask the question, are we really enjoying what God has given? And then that can, there are all sorts of reasons that might prevent us from uh, expressing joy. Uh, Some of it may be down to our personality and our tendency just to, you know, the glass a half full tendency and you're always seeing the negative and everything that's going on. And so there's just that disposition in you. And sometimes it's due to the circumstances of life 
and it robs you of any sort of appreciation of what there is that still is good in your life. So, taking the thought, things to enjoy that we have here in 1 Timothy 6, 17, and just thinking this through, and there's many scriptures here, I can't take time to turn to them all, but uh, hopefully you'll follow along in our thoughts here. First, enjoyment is a characteristic of God. Enjoyment is a characteristic of God. In Isaiah 62, verse 4, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee. God takes enjoyment in his people. He enjoys them. He enjoys who they are, what he has accomplished for them, and because of what Christ has done, he is able to do that. Zephaniah 3.17, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The expressions given concerning the shepherd in uh, Luke 15, rejoice with me, and other like uh, terms that are used in Luke 15. Our Lord Jesus in John 17:13, he wanted the joy that he possessed to be the possession of his people. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so by implication then, the Lord Jesus possesses joy. He finds, and it's not just some uh, feeling within him, it was manifested. It's not just a feeling of joy, but he would find joy in things. And of course, he wants then his people to be able to express that and feel that as well. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If you were to take those verses, you see the, the, the Trinity expressed in those texts in the joy that there is in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is a characteristic of God. Our ability to find joy in something, in anything that is worthy of that, is in part because of being made in the image of God, and it's God uh, in his communicable attributes being reflected in uh, man. But secondly, enjoyment is an expectation of God regarding his creatures. Enjoyment is an expectation of God regarding his uh, creatures, that God expects them that we should show enjoyment. So a number of ways we can think about this. First, in response to the goodness of his character, the goodness of his character. Part of my reading also on Monday was in Job, and Job chapter 1. And we find there in verse 9, Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And that question was one of the lingering texts of my meditation on Monday. As I thought about that, does Job fear God for naught? Does he fear God simply for uh, some mercenary purposes but because of the benefit? And that was the charge that really Satan is saying. Well, you've, you've put a hedge around him. And he is so prosperous and he has benefited so much that the fear of God is really him looking after himself. It is done in a selfish way. So that charge, you ask the question, well, did it have any weight? Is this the only reason why Job feared God? Or is there a sense of fear of God for the sake of fearing God because God is worthy of it? And the same could be said in terms of Job's enjoyment of God. Does Job enjoy God for nothing? Is, is he, is he in his, if you looked at his life and you see his joy in God, is that... 
is that something that is selfishly driven? Or does he express joy in God and enjoyment in God simply because that is the right response before God? And I think our conclusion, if you go through the book, though it's strained to almost incomprehensible degrees, that Job feared God because God was worthy to be feared, and the same is true of his enjoyment of God. So, we are to be the same. Our response to God's goodness is, is to find joy to the fact that He is good. We are to recognize that and respond in a way that He is worthy of, simply because of who He is. But secondly, in response to the goodness of His redemption, not just who God is, but what He has done, the goodness of His redemption. So I was looking through various texts that speak of what God has given to us. And uh, I, I encourage that study for yourself through the New Testament. I'll give you just some of the verses. So we see in Ephesians 5 verse 2, Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. And it was right then that we find joy in that, of course. We, we, we find joy and enjoyment in the fact that Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. 1 John 5.11, God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Again, it should be this, seeing this goodness of God and responding with joy. Just the, the enjoyment, the, enjoying the fact that, that Christ has loved us and given himself, God has given to us eternal life. 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true that we are in him that is true. Think of that. Imagine he didn't give us an understanding. Imagine he withheld from us an understanding of who he is and what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 5, God hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. In a similar vein, 1 John 3, 24, the Spirit which he hath given us. So we have the Holy Spirit. It's given. We're to find enjoyment in that. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16, God which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Second Peter 1, 3, His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That we are, with, we are not in a position to complain of lack. All things we need for life and godliness, He has supplied and given to us. So the, our response to this should be enjoying, reveling in, worshiping, adoration expressed in a frame of joy. Imagine that we, sinful creatures as we are, should have such blessings. But also, then, in response to the goodness of his providence, his character deserves us, his redemption deserves us, but then his providence also. There are things to enjoy in relation to how God has ordered our steps and how he has worked in our lives. And sometimes it's not easy to see that. And one of the books where you see the struggle of trying to really lay hold of what is good in this world is in the book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon is, is trying to break down how, what goes on in this world. And there's, there's much that he finds and struggles over in relation to that. But in the opening portion 
of Ecclesiastes, where you can see him even challenging the, the worth of wisdom and all sorts of questions that arise in his mind. Ecclesiastes 2.24, he concludes, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. So seeing what God bestows in his providence, and just seeing this comes from the hand of God, therefore there should be some recognition of that. This is repeated then in Ecclesiastes 3.13, also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes 5.18, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. So in the passage that we read, 1 Timothy 6, there are warnings regarding this because this particular charge is given to those who have material Abundance, as was the word I used earlier, is, is the more than they need. And yet, in what the Apostle says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us all, richly all things to enjoy. He is saying, let, make sure they know from whom this has come and why he has given it. It is to be enjoyed. Now, how one enjoys it may differ. And the Christian, as he goes on then to relate how they should do good and so on and so forth, how they should utilize the means that they have, they're able to be rich in good works. How can they be rich in good works? Well, people of means usually have more time. They can allocate things in ways that maybe others can't, and so they can actually do more at times, especially at certain seasons of their life. But they can do good, they can be rich in good works, and they can distribute and communicate, they can help in various ways. But the point is this, is recognizing that God has given this, and that it should be enjoyed. While wealth can be a spiritual distraction, there is no inherent piety in asceticism, in, in saying, well, I'll just strip away everything, and then that, that will make me more pious. Not necessarily. And so when God bestows it, it is to be used. But in it, the use of it, it is to be enjoyed. To be enjoyed. So it's what? What are we told? It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's part of the enjoyment. And so when you, when you, when you think of what that is, is saying, I mean, if you actually take that and you extrapolate that out to its implications in society, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Immediately, it, it would encourage a society to be one that tries to build up its own means that it might have the blessing of giving. Because when you make a society entirely dependent, you rob from that society the blessing of giving. And this is what you find in many other parts of the world where there is a mentality of, of socialistic thought or a government that robs the land of its wealth and it makes it almost impossible for its people to prosper because of the way things are run and so on. What they have done is robbed the blessing from their people, the blessing of giving, because they don't have the ability to do that. Part of the mercy of, of things in this country and other parts of the West and other nations too is that they have been so governed with all their shortcomings that still we have this blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But that's part of the enjoyment. That's just touching on it. Just touching on it. The enjoyment. 
He's given us richly all things to enjoy. I think, you know, you know there's, a, there's a need for us to see that God, gifted, these are gifts. I, I, I know we all, we all appreciate our, our food, I imagine most of us do, but um, I do, I, I was very struck by a family in Calgary. They were um, Armenian, at least, like me, they're kind of mixed in that way in the sense of they, like my, like my father's side of the family, there were Armenians in Iran. The gentleman was the same. He was of Armenian, Assyrian background in Iran, and his wife was Armenian background in Iraq. And they, they're a lovely couple, and uh, they, when they talked, when he, when, especially him, when he would talk about food, <laughs> it was like he, he was so conscious of the blessing of food. It was palpable. Like it, I can't express to you what it was like to see him talk about the joy of meals and food. And maybe we have lost something of that because if you go to Mediterranean and other sort of Near East and uh, Middle Eastern parts of the world, maybe there's more of a sense of the, the communal enjoyment of food, but the food being at the heart of it and the joy, the palpable joy in the gifts of food. Now we give thanks and we should, but I, sometimes I think we're giving thanks because we know that's the right thing to do, but there isn't a real palpable sense of the joy in these material gifts. And we should re- recognize more conscientiously that this, this, is, this is a wonderful gift, real gift. Of course, you know, I think part of that is being expressed. You, you see some of the consequence of lacking that today in how the proliferation of, of waste that we have. And some of us are old enough to remember a generation where if you, if you didn't clear your plate in front of your grandparents, it was like a cardinal sin. I mean, you, you wouldn't dare leave anything. But now our kids, you know, they can't be bothered with those vegetables and it's just scraped off into the garbage. Wouldn't have happened. And part of that was... was it may be wartime mentality, there may be other influences there, but um, I think of my father's side of the family in regards to that. I don't think that was what was at play in their culture. It was just, I mean, they, you know, these are gifts from God. A real conscious sense that food is a gift from God. That's just one way that I'm trying to communicate here to, to enjoy. This year to enjoy. Enjoy the meals. Children, <laughs> young people, older folks, really enjoy the gifts that God has given. Which brings us into the final thought. Enjoyment is an intentional exercise we must practice. It's an intentional exercise we must practice. God expects this of us in terms of his character, in terms of his redemption, in terms of his providence, but it's, we then have to be intentional in how we practice. And four thoughts here about enjoying the things that he has given, who give us richly all things to enjoy, things to enjoy all things to enjoy. First, enjoy the challenges of your children. So just for the sake of the parents here, enjoying the challenges of your children because there are days when we struggle, right? It's, it's hard. And, you, you know, there, there are challenges with raising children. and We're fully aware of that. 
personalities squabbling, sometimes disobedience of various sorts. But I was thinking of that text, I think I dealt with this in the past, one time Proverbs 14.4, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. And there'll come a time when all those challenges, or at least the particular challenges you're facing right now, they'll not be there or they'll take a different form. And you'll almost wish maybe you had the, the particular challenges that you face with your children currently. One of the judgments in, in Deuteronomy 28, if you read through that chapter, God speaks of, of judgment there. In Deuteronomy 28, 41, Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. And that's a, that's a judgment we don't want. And so if we don't enjoy our children, especially, again, it has to be seen in our demeanor, it has to be seen that we actually enjoy them. It doesn't matter what words we use, it doesn't matter how much provision we give, it doesn't matter, they, they need to know that we find joy in them. This is intentional, being really intentional. So even with the challenges, you, you enjoy them. And of course, a demeanor of joy begets joy. A ty- a fires of certain types kindle the same kind of fires. And so misery loves company and that kind of idea you see. Same with joy. You want to be so joyful that your children can't, they can't hold on to their moods. You're enjoying them. You're smiling. Smiles come easily to you. This is practical. This is practical. This is some of the things that we dismiss as if they're not important, but they are. It's really important. If our religion doesn't go deep enough that it actually manifests an enjoyment, what is there to, to sell it to anyone? Enjoy the challenges of your children. Enjoy the companionship of your spouse. We husbands have to be warned. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Did Paul see bitterness from husbands toward their wives? He must have. And so taking the language of Solomon again, Proverbs 5.18, rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Ecclesiastes 9.9, live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest. Live joyfully. That's intention, isn't it? This wife that you love... Live joyfully with her. Live joyfully. Enjoy her. That's what it's saying. And we have to intentionally do that. Thirdly, enjoy the fellowship of the saints. I was thinking of how Paul expressed his affection toward the Philippians. And in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, affection, gospel affection, the affection that Christ has for his people possessed Paul in a very acute, felt way in his heart towards those saints at Philippi. And he could say, God, God's, God's on record on that. God sees us. I can call God as my witness. 
how greatly I long after you all. And then he goes on to say in the fourth chapter, verse one, therefore my brethren dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown. You don't long for something you don't have affections for. And you don't long for things that you don't enjoy. You know, we, 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 we long for Christmas, can't wait for Christmas. There's a longing there. Why? You find enjoyment in it. There are other times of the year and other things you look forward to. Why? Because you enjoy it. You find joy in it. And this is what Paul says of them. So enjoy the fellowship of the saints. This, the, the Spirit of God worked a Christ-like affection into the heart of Paul toward the people of God. And he enjoyed And he longed for them. He longed for them. He didn't put up with them. He longed for them. So we need that same. And this is intentional. I'm saying this is intentional. You have to be intentional about it. It doesn't just occur. It takes the spiritual discipline. It requires praying over and asking. No doubt part of the affection that was produced in the heart of Paul was the fact that he was praying for them every day. And fourthly, and this is the most difficult, I say this, almost reluctant to put it into my sermon, but it has to be stated. Enjoy the weakness of the body. You know Paul's wrestling over the thorn in the flesh. And the Lord comes to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure. That doesn't happen by chance. That's intentional. That's the Spirit of God working in the believer's life so that the whole frame with which he looks at what is going on, he can come and say, even this that I'm going through is one of those things he is given to enjoy. Great paradoxes of the Christian faith. There are a number of them. This is one of them. Everything else I've set up to now might make logical sense. But for Paul to get to the point where he says, I take pleasure in infirmities. It goes on and lists other things there. You may read it for yourself. But just thinking of the weakness of the body, because this is, this is, this is common. Enjoy finding enjoyment. And so tonight I want us to, on this first prayer meeting, I want us to express thanks. I want us to be thankful to, for what he has sent and what he has given, whatever that may be, and whatever else he sends this year. I'm going to enjoy it. That's why he sends it to be enjoyed. In some way you can take pleasure in the hardest of things as well.
So the prayer, I was thinking of the prayer. It's a good prayer for us to sort of think of as we close here in Psalm 118, verse 25. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Send what we will enjoy. I can't help but think of that spiritually too, amidst all the prosperity. Send now prosperity. To look for that spiritual prosperity. We'll enjoy that, won't we? We'll enjoy it if we grow this year. Of course, how we grow and the tools God uses, the arsenal he may bring to bear in order for us to grow may be hard. For sure there will be some of that. That's inevitable. But then that we may grow, actually grow, really grow, flourish. 2024 is a year of growth. I can't remember a time where I grew more as a Christian in the last five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years. I'm, I've grown more this year. Send now prosperity, prosperity to my soul. To enjoy the Bible when you read it. To enjoy prayer when you engage in it. To enjoy worship when you attend to it. To enjoy opportunities that are afforded to you to share the gospel when they're handed to you. As I've said, to enjoy those difficult mornings in the home with children that are not being compliant. Enjoying our spouse, even though at times we may differ and there may be tension. And enjoying the fellowship of the saints, even though there can be occasions of difficulty there too. And enjoying weakness in the body, pleasure in our infirmities. May the Lord help us, things to enjoy. May He grant us grace to truly enjoy them for His glory. And we're going to sing.